This is Tax Update for Saturday, November 19, 2005. Tax Update is a podcast intended for tax professionals and is not designed for those not skilled in independent tax research. All readers and listeners are expected to do their own research to confirm items raised in this presentation before relying on the positions presented. This podcast may be freely reproduced and distributed so long as no charge is imposed for the receipt of the podcast and no charge is imposed for the materials involved with the podcast. This week's podcast deals with borrowing from your IRA, a variant on Russian roulette. What we're going to talk about this week is a private letter ruling that came down due to a failed transaction involving a taxpayer who apparently had heard about the wonderful technique of borrowing from your IRA. Now, as we probably are all aware, you're not allowed usually to borrow from the IRA because you can't pledge it, and pledging it would be an immediate distribution. So the technique in question takes advantage of the rollover provisions of the IRA law. And under the rollover provisions, the taxpayer would take a distribution, would be able to return that distribution into another IRA or even the same IRA within 60 days and have a rollover be able to exclude it from income. The issue becomes what happens if things go wrong. And this case deals with a case that if there ever would have been an IRS waiver in a case like this, we would have seen it and we didn't. But let's talk about this technique. Many of our clients have heard from various sources about the technique of borrowing from their IRA. That is, they can take the funds from their IRA and roll them into a separate bank account, make use of those funds for 60 days, and the law provides if they restore that funds within the 60-day period, voila, no issue. Now, the provision was not added to the law as a borrowing provision, though many taxpayers seem to believe it was, but rather was added to the law primarily as a way of allowing taxpayers to move from one IRA account to another, basically a simplified version where you just take the check, then take that money, go over to the next custodian and deposit the check rather than having to get the custodians to talk to each other. This provision is found in Internal Revenue Code Section 408D3. 408D3 Cap A provides, in general, that Paragraph 1, meaning the taxation on distribution, does not apply to any amount paid and distributed out of an individual retirement account or individual retirement annuity to the individual for whose benefit the annuity or account is maintained if the entire amount received, including money and other property, is paid into an individual retirement account or individual retirement annuity other than an endowment contract for the benefit of such individuals not later than the 60th day after the day on which the pay- he received the payment of distribution or the entire amount received, including money or other property, and other property is paid into an eligible retirement plan basically within 60 days. An eligible retirement plan is the standard list of employer-sponsored plans we're all aware of. Now, there is at 408D3 Cap B a once-a-year limitation. That is, this paragraph, meaning this exception, does not apply to any amount described in A1 received by an individual from an individual retirement account or annuity if at any time during the one-year period ending on the day of such receipt, 
Such individual received any other amount described in that subparagraph from an individual retirement account or individual retirement annuity, which was not includable in income because of the application of this paragraph. So basically it means from the time you do this, you have to wait another year before essentially you take another distribution and try this again. Now, a couple of exceptions and modifications. You don't have to roll over the entire amount. A partial rollover is allowed with only part going back into the IRA within the 60-day period. That's eligible for exclusion. That's found at 408D3 Cap D. Now, the IRA in question cannot be an inherited IRA. That is, if you inherit an IRA from your mother, that IRA, you cannot use the rollover provisions. You can transfer custodians and change custodians so I can take my account at Citibank and transfer it to Vanguard. And as long as the money moves directly from Citibank to Vanguard and does not have a check issued to me by Citibank and then I attempt to deposit into Vanguard, that is still a valid transaction. And that transaction is functional. But if it's a inherited IRA account, you are not allowed to take the cash, touch the cash, and game's over. This is very similar to the rules that we see in 1031 exchanges. It's The simple answer is if you ever get the cash, you're out of luck on an inherited IRA. As well, the distribution being rolled over cannot be a required distribution, as found in Section 408D3E. Well, that makes sense. Otherwise, we could get around minimum distribution rules by simply having the taxpayer every year take the minimum distribution and dump it into a new IRA account. The Congress said, sorry, we're not going to let you get around it that easily. So if it's a minimum distribution, you cannot roll that. However, if you take in excess of the minimum, any amount in excess of the minimum required distribution can be rolled over. So a taxpayer who discovered they've taken more than they should can turn around, or more than they had to, I should say. They obviously can take whatever they want at the point they're at minimum distributions. But a taxpayer took more than they had to could turn around within the 60-day period and redeposit the excess. Now, until recent law changes, the IRS had no specific authority to waive a violation of the 60-day requirement, and in fact, quite often ruled. Now, there were a couple of cases in specific fact situations where the courts held that the 60-day rule did not have to be strictly applied. Normally, that dealt with situations where the taxpayer had specifically instructed a financial institution and had every reason to believe the financial institution had deposited the funds into an IRA account. And it was only discovered after the fact that due to a mistake by the financial institution, the funds did not make it into the IRA account. And this fact was not discovered until the 60-day period had expired. But generally, the IRS had ruled and the courts had supported them in taking the position that the IRS had no authority to waive the 60-day period until Congress added a new provision. That new provision is found at 408D3I. That provision tells us that the Secretary may waive the 60-day requirement under subparagraphs A and D where the failure to waive such requirement would be against equity or good conscience, including casualty, disaster, or other events beyond the reasonable control of the individual subject to such requirement. Now, note, it is the secretary may. It does not necessarily say the secretary shall waive in those cases. So the IRS is granted discretion. They cannot unreasonably use it or abuse their discretion. 
But generally, you have to view this that we're going to ask a favor of the IRS. They'll be allowed to put this money back in. Also, it means we do have to ask the IRS. We can't merely put the money back in and then say, ah, that was a good enough reason, or somebody else got a private letter ruling, so that's a good enough reason so we can let it go in there. Rather, we've got to go ask for our own ruling in order to get this amount put back into the account in the 60-day period waived. Finally, notice that basically in order to get the waiver, we have to demonstrate that the failure to waive such requirements would be against equity or good conscience. So that's the basic test. We have to show an equitable issue that's in our favor or good conscience, whatever that may mean. Basically means we get the sympathy of the IRS. And it notes casualty, disaster, or other events beyond the reasonable control of the individual subject to such requirements. So we know those three areas are the three areas in which we could get a waiver. Now note it said including, so other factors may come into this. Now, since that rule entered the law, the IRS has issued a number of rulings, both favorable and unfavorable, to taxpayers in this area. The favorable rulings have generally had a couple of things in common. First, the taxpayer was truly trying to move funds from retirement account A to retirement account B, and something went wrong. Now, that something has been various things, including simply the receipt of bad advice, including the fact that the custodian didn't put it in the right account, including various other issues. There have been a number of issues under which the IRS has agreed. But the key factor has been the taxpayer demonstrated they legitimately wanted to roll the fund. They weren't acting in, quote, bad faith, unquote, shall we say that they were not trying to use this provision for something it wasn't intended for. The IRS has been very insistent that if a taxpayer was attempting to make use of the 60-day provision for something other than merely moving funds from retirement account A to retirement account B, they are not generally going to waive the period. In fact, basically, they have not waived the period in that case. That brings us to a case that if there ever was a situation where the IRS would say, you know, we understand this loan deal, and in fact, we agree that it works under the law. Well, we should say, I don't know if the IRS would say they agree. At least theoretically, one could argue that this goes against the spirit of the provision, and perhaps because it wasn't meant to be used this way, perhaps it isn't a prohibited use of the funds, shall we say, but we've never seen the IRS go here, and so we'll ignore that one. Let us agree that basically if you meet the mechanics, this works. But the IRS has been very clear that if you are using it for that purpose and not for the congressionally approved purpose, at least as they view the congressional approval of this matter, then you're going to have to face the consequences if you fail to meet the 60 days. Effectively, you're back under the old law where the IRS says we will not waive. If you, if day 61 comes by and the funds aren't in there, you will pay tax and you will pay the underpayment penalty if you're under age 59 and a half. It's tough luck and we really don't care what the situation was. 
That brings us to letter ruling 2005-44022 that was issued on November 7th of 2005. Now, this one I'm calling Hurricane Francis, the Home Purchase, and the IRA. In this case, an individual took a distribution from his IRA in order to buy, provide short-term funds for the purchase of a home. The taxpayer intended to restore the funds to the IRA within the 60-day window allowed once a year for the rollover distribution using funds he would receive from a home equity loan he planned to obtain on the new home. In essence, we have a taxpayer here who was going to purchase a new home, put funds down. Those funds came from the IRA. What he intended to do once he had qualified for the loan, in essence, by not using borrowed funds, he intended then to turn around, get a home equity loan on the equity now established in the home, and use those funds from the home equity loan to meet his obligation under the individual retirement account to complete the rollover mechanically should be fairly simple. In fact, the taxpayer basically, you know, kept the time frame pretty close. The ruling notes that one week after distribution was made, the taxpayer submitted the paperwork to obtain the home equity loan. In essence, the property closed. It was his now. He now could file the paperwork and apply for home equity loan on this property, and he did. He wasn't delaying. It happened relatively quickly. Everything should have gone very smoothly. Well. Then there was this problem of the hurricane. Before his loans were approved and the funds were distributed, the taxpayer's home was severely damaged by Hurricane Francis and declared uninhabitable. Not surprisingly, the lender indicated this particular change meant they could not go forward with the loan at this time. In essence, there wasn't any equity anymore in this home because the home was uninhabitable. Well, this presented a problem. Basically, he did not receive these home proceeds. It took nine months for the whole situation to unravel, the taxpayer's home to be put back into the proper shape, and this home equity loan to finally go through, and the taxpayer finally get the funds to enable him to restore the funds to the IRA. No funds were redeposited into that IRA within the 60-day period or the extended period granted for rollovers under the special tax relief granted by the IRS for Hurricane Francis. That relief allowed you to complete a rollover that was in process at the date of the hurricane so long as it was completed by December 30, 2004. Well, the taxpayer was well after that extended window as well when the funds finally got in. It took nine months to get everything back in position. The IRS was asked by the taxpayer, given these extraordinary circumstances that clearly were outside the taxpayer's control, please give me extra time to put the money back in. I intended to do so. It would have happened had the hurricane not come in between. And as soon as I had the ability to do so, I put the funds back in. The IRS said, that's a nice story, but we're sorry you won't be allowed to make this rollover. Why did the IRS do this? The IRS noted, the committee report describing legislative intent indicates that Congress enacted the rollover provisions to allow portability between eligible plans, including IRA. 
In general, using a distribution as a short-term loan to cover personal expenses is not consistent with the intent of Congress to allow portability between eligible plans, and under those circumstances, the failure to waive the 60-day requirement would not be against equity or good conscience where a taxpayer is not able to redeposit the funds within the 60-day period. In essence, you were using this for a purpose for which Congress had not intended the law to be used. While we're not going to discuss the issue of whether that works, again, as I said, most likely it appears it does, certainly mechanically it does, and the IRS is not asserting here that they would be able to carry a position that this rollover would not have been good had it been made within the 60 days. But the fact was you weren't using it for the purpose. Because of that, you were in essence taking advantage of, shall we call it, a loophole in the law. We're not going to grant you any break when mechanically you couldn't finish it. Because essentially, as far as we're concerned, only the mechanics allowed you to do this. It was not an intent issue of Congress that said we intended for you to be able to borrow from your IRA. Basically, you live by a mechanical exception, you die by a mechanical exception if you cannot complete and stay in line with the mechanics. This taxpayer clearly had no control. This did not matter. What does this mean to our clients? Well, probably means a number of things, none of which are very good. You need to be careful. Clients hear about this option all the time from various sources, their friends, this guy at the bank, the broker, various other people, the mortgage lender in this case, the mortgage broker who's saying we can finish this up. You just need these funds. We need these funds in here long enough so that you put the 20% down and we'll turn right back around, refinance that. You'll have the funds within a, within a few weeks and you'll easily meet the 60-day deadline. The taxpayers hearing that and told that it works, and we definitely can't say it doesn't work, go ahead and move forward with this. The problem is they have to understand they are on a tightrope without a net. And if they make it across to the other side, they're fine. But if they slip from that rope, there is nothing that's going to catch them. The protection that is allowed for somebody who is in the process of doing a straight rollover and who is trying to move from one retirement account to another will generally not be available to them when the IRS discovers the actual facts of the situation. That's true no matter how sympathetic it appears the taxpayer's reason may be. It's hard to imagine something that generates more sympathy or something less in the taxpayer's control than a hurricane that destroyed his house. Nevertheless, the taxpayer was out of luck and now has to pay the tax on the money that he received. Most likely, although the ruling did not say so, but most likely early distribution penalties on the distribution. And the taxpayer still now has a home equity loan that, of course, he'll need to repay as well. And he'll probably need to use part of that now to pay back the taxes. 
And let's not forget that the funds that are sitting in his IRA now have to be pulled back out or he will be hit with an excess contributions penalty. Now, if you have a taxpayer who's trying a legitimate rollover that falls apart for some reason that appears to be out of the taxpayer's control, take a look at the ruling. At the same time this ruling was issued on the 7th of November, a number of positive rulings were issued for taxpayers as well as a few negative rulings that went along with this one. Now, the other negative rulings were pretty much things that were easy to understand. I borrowed the money to pay off my former spouse's share of the house so that I didn't have to pay my former spouse interest. That one didn't generate any sympathy, and that's probably not surprising that it didn't generate sympathy for a reason to pull the funds out and then find you're unable to meet the rollover because the house didn't sell within those 60 days. In that particular ruling, again issued the same day, the taxpayer had been unable to sell the house for two years, and it is difficult to imagine why the taxpayer seemed to believe that under some miracle she would be able to sell the house in the 60-day period when for two years it hadn't happened. Well, basically, that taxpayer then asked for a waiver and was told no. But that case is probably easier to understand. This case is very difficult to understand except to go to the fact that if you borrow from it, it will not work. This ruling is instructive to give to clients who contemplate this option or who tell you about the fact they want to do it, to give them the cautionary tale about what they will not be excused from, no matter what happens under the law. And remember, you have to ask the IRS for permission. If you fail to ask the IRS for permission, and the rollover is discovered that it was late, you have an over-contribution to the plan. That over-contribution is subject to an excise tax, and that excise tax will continue to run so long as the funds stay in there and aren't absorbed by contributions that you didn't make to the IRA each year that you could have. So basically, it could be very expensive and theoretically could be discovered years down the line. This has been Tax Update for Friday, November 19th. This tax update was recorded relatively early in the week, as you might expect, as I'm going to be in and will have been in Norfolk, Virginia. In fact, by the time this podcast becomes available for download, I will probably still be in Norfolk, but by the time you get it, probably either in transit or return to Phoenix from my trip from Norfolk or really Virginia Beach, Virginia that will come in. Uh, we will have a podcast the next week, hopefully dealing with other issues as we see what is developing going forward. A couple of notes of interest for those who are following along. I will have two more speaking engagements this year on the road, shall we say. One of the speaking engagements will be in Tulsa, Oklahoma on December 2nd, dealing with uh, technology update for the tax CPA, and one will be December 15th in Columbus, Ohio, where I will be doing the three-hour federal tax update portion of the Ohio State and Federal Tax Conference held in Columbus. So I'll be out and about on those. I'm also going to be updating, uh, working with Ira Feldman to update 
the 2006 Arizona tax guide that's published by the Phoenix Tax Workshop. So I have that little project in the background as well that we hope to get out in the early part of 2006 as all the details become clear. And I'll also have to do some work at the office, believe it or not. So I'll be working on all the planning for this year. But there's lots of developments, lots going on. We may or may not have a reconciliation bill before the end of the year. Congress is still working on the concept. So we'll keep an eye on what's going on there and keep an eye on the more general development. But this has been Tax Update for Saturday, November 19th, 2005.